0: From the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast.
1: It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. I'm MJ and this is Mark coming at you hot hot as snot in summertime <laughs> when the city is pretty and the living is easy and the living
2: <sighs> is easy. very summer
1: very summer indeed what's new what's shaking we got a couple of uh, tiny house events coming up that Michelle's gonna be Hip-hop scotching all across every single one like a rock across a pond.
2: (laughs) That's very cute. cute. (laughs) Uh, I thought about talking about it, but you know, with our whole post-production thing going on, I talk about events.
1: She talks about ahead of time, but then it happens afterwards. Yeah, that's That's a good point. We can talk about our orange skies. Yeah, we've had a number of wildfires apparently going on, including Schnitzer Steel caught on fire.
0: I saw (laughs) a picture of that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so we have one of the worst particulate matter air quality warnings in effect right now. In the United
2: States. It's one of the worst air quality in the United States right now. I heard, I heard right worse now. than Japan. Like That's, I, I, I heard, heard worse it's like, than China. Yeah. I heard it's like way, well, let's just say if it's worse than LA, then you know it's something.
1: Yeah. it. You know, I remember back in the seventies when LA was really bad. Now it's not that bad mm-hmm. compared to them, but I've, I've lived a little bit in Beijing and I I don't think it's as bad as China. Beijing was terrible. Well, yeah,
0: because that's down at the ground level, almost like like
1: fog. Yeah, it is. It's a lot like
0: fog. But I haven't seen St. Helens in two and a half, three weeks now.
1: That's true. I can't it's see it. It's just an orange now. haze. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: kind of crazy. It
1: makes for great sunsets and sunrises. Though. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The worst part about all this weather, though, has been the slowdown um, for my build. Mm-hmm. I hate. I hate. I mean, working in such a tiny space you're like working in quite literally a hot box when you're working mm, in a tiny oh, house oh yeah in this heat i reached it i reached out on tiny house people <clears> one of the facebook pages and i was like oh my god like how do people in the south and
1: mm-hmm. yeah
2: anywhere it's hot whatever yeah. like how do you like deal? australia how do you build when it's a hundred degrees outside like this is just crazy what so, kind of answers you getting? um for the most part, um, the answers are, of course, drink a lot of water, take a lot of breaks, you know, drink electrolytes. Um, some people actually put air conditioners, especially I'm working on the inside, so they'll go get like a cheap air conditioner off a of Craigslist or whatever, uh, yeah. and plug it in a window yeah. um, for the space, just for the working time. Mm-hmm. Um, what I have been doing, however, including all of those, but the air conditioner one, is I've been up at 5 a.m. in the morning. Um, and working on the tiny house for the first few hours yeah. before my regular job, even that
1: makes sense because it's the only time of the day when it's sixty degrees yeah. in, mm-hmm. in Portland. Yeah,
2: and even then, I mean, the humidity still is is uh, the concern. But nonetheless, that's the only way I'm able to get anything done on the tiny house these days is because of the fact that you just got to get up and make. If you don't have time, in this case, this is one of those um, one of those examples. If you don't have time, you make time. That's right. Like you get everything. In place, you do all your shopping, get all your materials the night before. You make a plan, and 5 a.m. you roll out of bed, throw on some sweats, grab a cup of coffee, and
1: go. Fire up that bandsaw! How does it? I yeah. can't oh, believe this! Uh, uh, I can't believe that none of you came up with came up with the slogan we have in the beginning of the show. Grab, snatch your hammer and beer. <laughs> snatch yeah. your hammer and beer <laughs> make it real. Make it yeah. real.
2: Yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. So uh, <clears throat> so um, hate this weather though. If I wanted this kind of weather, I would not live here. I'd live in Arizona yeah. or someplace.
1: It's funny that people- Or Austin. Or Austin. <laughs> yeah, where they make cold steel. <laughs> I'm sure it's not made down there, but we have we have a very, uh, we have an interesting guest today because um, according to MJ, he is one of the only- I
2: think the only,
1: he'll, uh, he'll correct me. Yeah, the only uh, fabricators in the tiny house movement that creates the frames of tiny houses with Cold steel, and I'm not talking about blue steel—the kind that shoot bullets. I'm talking about that framing stuff you see in commercial buildings. And so, I'm really eager to get into a conversation with Mark McQueen, uh, the owner of—I think he's the owner of Volksstruck. Vol- I'm gonna screw that name. Volks <laughs> Volksstrucks. Volstrucht. Is that German, Mark?
0: It better be. Uh, no, it's from Austin. No it's not. <laughs> it is. You can't there's there's you can't go out and get a word anymore on the internet. So that's a it's a construct. Uh, volstruck means it's a combination of the Latin word for roll, which is Volvo, and then structure it with a funny K that gives it the Scandinavian um, sort of bit that's uh, supposed to imply uh, precision and um, all those uh, wonderful engineering qualities that we that we, you know, that we do every day. So
2: well Great done, branding sir. story. Well yeah. done, sir.
1: <laughs> so, so Mark <clears throat> um, has a very interesting story as to how he got involved in tiny houses that has to do with the Middle East and uh, some very, well, some commercial building, it looks like. building little. So I'm, and rather than me telling this story, I'd like, Mark, for you to tell us how you got into the tiny house movement and start from the way back.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, it was the, well, I think it was 2007, we were, um, we moved over to Dubai to my main business is retail uh, delivery and development. So we work on, we've been fortunate to work on some of the, the biggest uh, retail schemes around the world. And we went to the Middle East because at that time, uh, we were getting a lot of a lot of phone calls. And that's where they were building some of the um, the biggest and most innovative projects in, in, in retail. So the US, we built some pretty neat stuff, but we don't build a uh, big project, which is what we were known for. So, we went over there. Um, uh, kind of pre pre recession, we had a couple of um, pretty exciting years. Did some some pretty neat stuff. Um, and on one of our big projects, we were doing a Norman Foster project in Abu Dhabi. It had the uh, two tallest towers in Abu Dhabi, big shopping center. And we had some challenges with the the structure where they um, they hadn't uh, put enough structure in. Uh, to 400 retail spaces that needed mezzanines uh, very badly, um, and so we did a global search to try to find a solution. We found some interesting machines out of New Zealand, um, where in the in New Zealand, Australia, where they have um, their, their termites are quite a bit bigger than ours, and they have some some other issues down there. So they have uh, <laughs> they pioneered this technology that they've had down there for a long time. Um, we used that in the Middle East, solved our our mezzanine issue and that was kind of that for a little while it was it was very interesting it was kind of sitting on the back burner for a while then when the recession hit um and i was sitting in a, a big empty office um, with a lot of time on my hands the that came back and what we ended up coming up with as a you know, way to one fix the fact that we were we were now um where we were renowned for you know the most successful retail openings um um, in the world, I guess we were—we were all of a sudden, you know, kind of opening these these amazing shopping centers with no tenants. Um, so, what, because we care a lot about those tenants, as were the people that we worked with. So, having a, having no neighbors is is not a great feeling. So, uh, we did—we had to develop something that we do in the U.S. in the mature markets like London. Um, you'll do—you'll create little—you'll put in little retail stores to kind of help the opening. They don't really do that in the Middle East, um, different financial models over there. They, they don't They don't spend a lot of their own money on that sort of stuff. So we had to come up with a different model. What we developed was a, a modular retail shop that was, was only about eight feet deep, but it went the full width of, of a shop front. So when you went into these uh, shopping centers, it looked like there was um, a full-size shop there. Um, so it helped activate the retail space, uh, turned into kind of, a, it was a. It was a great, we set up another business doing that. We used that, the steel framing was made, what made that possible that we could put it in um, in 24 hours and we could take it out in about four hours. So that let us use this space that wasn't being used. Um, we ended up putting in a couple hundred new tenants. Uh, we put in more new tenants than any other uh, company simply because it was a, an inexpensive way for people to access the market. So they were, were working with people that never could have got into those sorts of projects. Uh, because of the cost or because they hadn't been um, around long enough. So, um, and that was a, a, a great little project. And then um, after doing that for about a year and a half, um, it was time to come back to the States, things that picked up enough that I could uh, afford to pack my bags and come back uh, to the U.S. And one of the things that we were setting up was that business. So when we as um, so we did that, we I had a partner over there uh, that had the machines, whereas here we bought our own machine. And while I was waiting for that machine to arrive, I kept getting these calls. From people talking about tiny houses, and at the time I'd been out of the country for about eight years, so I didn't, I didn't know what a tiny house was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I politely, you know, thanked them for their interest, but said that's not, you know, that, that wasn't what we, what we did. Um, and it was, you know, because it's it's not a lot of steel, uh, you know, and it was just, and basically I, you know, my, I talked to my uh, partner who's Australian, I talked him into. Uh, the idea of uh, taking um, a bunch of that year's profit and put it into buying a very expensive machine off the back of the retail and some of the other things that we were we were doing. So um, the idea of kind of going down, uh, you know, another another path uh, for little houses. It just it took me, you know, a little bit of time to come around. I had one very persistent caller in my pencil out of tiny house tiny house Chattanooga who kept calling and calling and calling. He's pretty persistent. So um, eventually I started Googling, um, and some of the, you know, I guess in 2000, uh, I guess it was 2015, um, it was still, you know, things were changing a lot, um, but it was, there was still some scary stuff out there when you looked at how people were building these things. So I, you know, I was enamored. I thought it was an amazing concept, uh, which it was around when I was a little bit uh, younger. I would have done it um, before I moved off the farm when I was a kid, but um, so I wanted, but it was, you know, what struck me was that, you know, people were building things like they were putting an addition on the side of their house, but they were putting it on a trailer that was driving down the road. So, um, you know, looking at the machine that we had sitting in the warehouse and knowing that that was, you know, such a perfect fit, uh, to be able to create something that was, um, safer, obviously a lot lighter, a lot stronger. Um, we decided to, to, um, uh, design and roll our first house and then, um, Mike pulled in that Sunday. We put it on a, loaded loaded it up. Um, he delivered a trailer for me, an extra one. So we put his house together that afternoon. He drove off and then we, we rolled another house and then we took it up to uh, uh, to our first tiny house show up in Seattle back in uh, 2015. So that was sort of our, our beginning uh, was coming from, and that was part of the, you know, the appeal was that we were, we were, we were fortunate that we changed a lot in the retail where we're trying to downsize and kind of create all this, you know, some of this, you know, a new um, a new format for retail because we haven't had anything new in retail since the kiosk, which was in the late seventies. So, and we were surprised that that was as easy as it was. Um, but coming into the U S market, the U S market doesn't change easily. And um, particularly in any of those mature markets. So we knew we were going to have an uphill battle. So with the, you know, my son calls me a bandwagoner because we kind of jumped onto the, you know, the tiny house movement from, if it started in 2000, obviously in two thousand you know 2015, we were looking at it, it, was, there were lots of people, there were lots of, you know, the shows and there were, you know, that first show we went to, I don't think we were very popular. We showed up this big shiny steel thing and we had <laughs> logos on our shirts and, you know, there were um, other contractors that had started to come and were, you know, looking to, you know, we're kind of going, oh, I want to build tiny houses so my guys can, you know, work inside. In Portland during the, the rainy season or the winters, um, so I think that you know initially it was uh it wasn't it wasn't a you know as um as much as we've enjoyed. I think one of the great things about the tiny house movement is the people that we've gotten to work with. Um, the initial uh, you know that that initial weekend was a little uh, we we're kind of on the outside looking in, but it's been great ever since.
2: I remember that weekend actually. Um, so to connect our listeners, connect the dots here. So you're in Austin, Texas, correct?
0: That's
2: correct. Uh, Their first show, however, that they, their first display was here in Portland, Oregon at the tiny house conference in 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was, that was very notable for me that they were willing to drive that, you know, drive all this distance. And, and like they said, I have to agree with, um, with your perception um, of how people viewed you at the time um we all sort of said what is that i was there we have met but it was a long 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 time ago um but um yeah so just to connect to connect the portland dots there that's what he was talking about was his first his first show was here in portland at the conference interesting so so i just to
1: go back on your story um great story so when you this company that you had when you were in dubai were you guys rolling in the dough
0: no (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, the the, the grown up company, uh, you know, is has been around for fifteen years, and you know, in the, I mean, the, the Middle East is still a challenging place to have a business. Um, you know, I mean, every every week there's something new. You know, that we've got so, um, yeah. That's it's you know, but that that business does find. Um, were you talking specifically about the? about the the um, pocket shops, the pop retail yeah, I was specifically
1: business. referring to your operation
0: um, that, that it, yeah I mean it, it was it was doing it was doing well um, it, you know it's kind of and now you know a couple of years on it's sort of it's it's very much tied to the um, the strength of the retail market, so you know in the Middle East right now there's just one of those where the perception is a little different from the reality so that, you know, the Middle East has slowed down a little bit from what it was a few years ago. And they, you know, they overbuilt a lot of the retail. So there's a, there's a very strong demand. Um, but we're having to be careful about where we go into because, um, you know, we basically, uh, we, we sort of expedite our own demise when we put, when we put a shop into a vacant space and we had shop, we've had shops that have been in for a year and a half space. So, you know, occasionally we get uh, bumped out in in uh, three weeks for. a that so we that we'd like to be in. So it's um, but it's been, you know There's, yeah. He, I mean the you know the ability. You know we've grown you know to grow those retailers to become, you know we're yeah we're um the, the business is certainly in demand um in good times and bad. Days. Never sets on that question proof.
1: Yeah. Okay. So so the, so when you came to from back from Dubai, it, it I guess my thinking is that going from what you were doing in Dubai, which in my imagination is this great big. Fantastic thing, and then you come back here and you do these tiny houses. Now it's it seemed like it was a step down. It was it or not?
0: No, uh, it, it, in some ways it was um, it was similar, except we didn't have to. We weren't have to go and educate um, a market of both. You know the. We'd, you know I spent my days half my day would be spent talking to big shopping center owners, and then half spent uh, talking to tenants that want to occupy space. So um, the, those were great meetings, um, but this is you know, that, that business was very different to our grown up business, which is spent sitting and, you know, working on, you know, billion dollar projects, sitting in big meetings all day. And then, you know, spending weeks or months or sometimes years chasing your money. So, um, you know, that was, it was more a providing there. We provided a product in the, in the pocket shop and the service of, um, finding the tenants, um, working with them on their design, only helping them get, um, get fit out and open. Um, so the the tiny house business, you know, back here was a lot more like that that small pocket shop business where we're creating a product for somebody.
1: I see. And are, are you still doing the other business or are you all in on the tiny house one now?
0: Well, it's um it, it's the first thing that we rolled out of the machine when the when the machine got delivered and it's still sitting in the corner outside of my office. So it's um we've got it slotted in for you know for this year to get started. I've kind of I guess I've committed because I put it on the We'll bring one to the, uh, to the Jamboree this year with the Jamboree being in Dallas. So we'll, um, you know, I, since we're bringing it there, we'll, we'll definitely get, uh, get it finished and kind of start that, that business back up.
1: Okay. So let me, so you, you're talking about this machine so that you, you acquired a machine that extrude, extrudes this metal into the forms you need to build the frame. Is that right?
0: yeah so i guess i'm just talking about the process a little bit you you mentioned commercial metal framing and that's you know part of the reason that we run around the country going to the shows is so that we can explain to people that it's not commercial metal framing Mm. um you know what's what's unique about that the machine and the system is i mean it is it's the world most advanced the world's most advanced framing system um you know there's only a handful of these machines in the country there's a couple people that are doing um you know some other some other interesting things but um, you know, one of the reasons we have to go and explain to people, because if you were, um, you know, I, I, we've built lots of buildings. And if you would have told me before I'd seen this machine that you were going to build a tiny house out of a metal frame, I would have said, there's no way you can do that. It's just not, uh, that's not what metal framing is engineered for. The the metal studs on the projects that you drive by um, every day on commercial projects, those are um, non-load bearing, they're for uh-huh. infill partitions, and, you know, they're, you know, for lining your basement. So, uh-huh. our, or the steel that we use is all high tensile strength steel. So we order special steel. um, And it's, it's more like the, the red iron, like the structural steel that you're, that you're used to seeing, it just happens to be galvanized. So, um, and the, the process is we design a house. So, you know, normally with a, you know, we do, we still do um, mostly custom um, tiny houses, about 68% of our businesses do it yourself, which is 32% of that is builders and most of the do-it-yourselfers will, will have a design that they've been working on. So we'll take those designs, we'll put it into, the, into um, the CAD system. And, you know, that'll take anywhere from a couple hours to, you know, a couple weeks, depending on the back and forth. Once that design is finished, we take that uh, the USB stick and put it in the machine. And what the machine will do is it takes a coil of steel um, that is uh, loaded into the back of the machine. And then as it goes through the machine... The machine will bend it punch it do all the make all the cuts so basically what comes out the front of that is an erector set that is the house is perfect it's a one mil tolerance across the whole house everything is pre-dimpled um pre-punched so whether you whether the three of you put it together whether my guys put it together um it's going to look exactly the same um so it's and you know that's one of the you know the reasons and they're designed to you know we can design it to go down the road so for me um you know we wish that everyone called us because we have the you know because it's an engineered solution that's safe to go down um a bad stretch of highway obviously most of the appeal for the tiny house community is the is the speed and the and the you know the fact that it's so much lighter than a wood frame so you say the speed
1: what what kind of is this indianapolis 500 speed or like what can you do that with the with a steel framed house that you can't do with a
2: would, well, what he's talking about, I think, is the, the the labor, the speed in which it takes to assemble. Uh, Constructed. Uh, okay. Because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to sort of dumb this down a little bit. So, it's a, it's a kit, right? Everything is cut in advance per the floor plan. Like he said, it's punched in advance. Um, you know, the windows are where they're going to be, and you basically just screw it all together, as opposed to cutting a board at a time right. and figuring out, okay, what's this wall look like? They've already done all that all that work up front. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's correct. And basically, when we when we send it to you, we send it in panels so that it's we never send out just sticks. If you send oh, out, so it's even stick, further it, than
2: that, it, right?
0: Yeah, if, if you, I mean, we we've tried it a couple times, and it's the it's not that you can't do it, um, but the but um, somebody can make mistakes, um, and there's no way we put a 25 year warranty on our frames. We wouldn't be able to do that if if you were assembling it yourself, and it's not it's you know you can get it's not that you can't write the instructions to do it but it's not that hard to flip a stick and all of a sudden your house isn't square anymore yeah um so so so, yeah sorry go ahead
1: i was just gonna ask mark so what's the what is the um please jump in michelle no no no, i was
2: gonna say it's almost like the sips yeah it appears as if he's competing for lack of a better term with the sip panels because one of their big um sort of uh, selling points is the fact that you tip the wall into place and right. then you know screw it um at the corners kind right. of a situation
0: yep and it, it, it's not it's not this in that regard so you can i mean when we have a, if we have a tiny house meetup we can have you know we'll put together a house in you know 20-30 minutes it takes you you know half a day after that to get all the final strapping but you you can actually have the house looking like your house um in 20 or 30 minutes you don't need a tape measure for anything everything is um is aligned and, and built in a way that your mezzanine has a, has guides. So everything, uh, if you have um, a roof deck, everything, all those uh, trusses have truss seats. So you just slide them into place. It's really just aligning uh, the frame faces and then screwing things together. So it it makes it very simple for people to to get to a point in their project where uh, if you, you know, that you have a an, a much better foundation, really, than you could, you know, than you could, you you, have, you would have to be a very, very good builder to build um, a wood frame uh, to that, those sorts of tolerance from a, a squareness and from a, and obviously from a, from a safety and engineering standpoint, it's, it's difficult to do with a, a wood frame without adding an awful lot of weight. The, um, yeah, um, SIPs is a good system, obviously, you know, from a, uh, you
2: know, it's the, so it'll go together pretty much the same, so they go together quickly. Well, it's no wonder why. Excuse me, the tiny house builders, um, especially those that are interested in maximizing profits and minimizing their labor costs, it certainly makes sense why the builders were really knocking your door down for something like this. I mean, as a DIYer, my next question I'm going to lead into, I'll get there in a second, but um, as a DIYer, we're um, we're very much interested in learning about the process, and you know, sort of being involved in the design and those other sort of, you know, sort of warm and fuzzy things. But as a builder, there's my model, there's my frame. And if I can stick it together in, you know, less than eight hours with a couple of guys that really increases my productivity and increases my margin. So it certainly makes sense why they were knocking your door down.
0: Well, I think the initial thing is they get excited about the speed, but what happens as you go through a build, um, there's a whole bunch of, you know, I was a finished carpenter. So I got through school and, and there's you know all the things that you learned about flipping sticks and, and kind of making sure trying to you know hiding the imperfections in the material. Um, what you know what the, the steel takes all that out, so there's no head scratching. I mean, every window is going to fit exactly, so you end up saving time throughout the build because um, of those sorts of things. So that's obviously things that the that the builders get right away. Um, for the I mean, we still yeah most of the because the do-it-yourselfers I mean that's it's their design, so you know we've done um, I think we've I mean we've done over we're just coming up on a couple hundred houses and we've done more than that in, in designs. So, you know, we take their design, uh, we, you know, we put that into, into the software. So what they end up with is, is a, you know, a much stronger, um, lighter frame that is their design. Um, and it's safe to go down the highway. And I think one of the things that we get most excited about is and we don't talk a lot in the tiny house um, movement about how many projects start, but don't finish. And, you know, one of the things that we're most, You know, impressed with is the amount of people who you know we'll deliver something on a Friday and we'll have the photos on the Monday and they're already sheathing it Um, because you know that when we deliver that frame, it creates momentum instead of having a pile of lumber or you know a bunch of materials sitting out there that are kind of staring at you every weekend or that you need good weather or that you need um, you know our our project goes together so quickly and it kind of turns into um, something that kind of yeah they can they can they feel like they're in the space right away so we get. those are the those are great uh, ways to start your day on a monday when you see those photos of how far people got with their project
2: so to that end um and again getting to my question so so you do actively embrace and encourage and and sort of get involved in the diy builds as well um we talked to a number of builders um and sometimes that can be very sort of problematic it's partially an education process when you're dealing with DIY builders a lot of times they don't necessarily know what they want like they want they want someone to walk them through the process why can't they have a four foot by four foot bathroom or something you know why can't I have a six foot tub in my tiny house Um, to what extent do you get involved in that education Um, are you are you walking them through the process or, or is the answer let us know once you have your design and then we'll take it from there.
0: Yeah. I mean, that when we got started, it was the, you know, I, I still remember the, you know, that conversation I had with my partner when I came back from that first show was, you know, what struck me was a movement. It was in transition. It was moving from what it had been to getting ready to, to go do these other things with uh, builders coming in and different, um, you know, there's so much more information out there. So I think because we're working with uh, do it yourself or so, uh, we're, I mean, the builders have, you know, I, I feel for the builders because obviously, you know, we work with them and we, you know, we see, we always have a good show because we're there to meet new builders. And we're also there to meet the people that came to the show to look at their house, just to get ideas because they want to do it themselves. So we're there for both. Um, And it's, it's a challenge for the builders. And that's what, if someone's coming in, they're going to have someone build it. They probably haven't done that much research. Uh, Whereas when people come to us, they're, you know, they've already, you know, that's what, yeah they've, they've done lots of research. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's too much research, but the, um, so (laughs) they
2: think they know better than you do.
0: Well, it's just, it, it, but but they're, they're they're all pretty educated now. I mean, that's you know we've seen you know we're kind of fortunate because we, um, you know, we're there's you know there's a couple of people out there maybe that had have, you know that have been we get involved with every one of those builds. So it's not like we're you know we we know we work with trailer people that have you know provide a lot of trailers or obviously if it's a, if you're um, you know providing other components. Uh, if you're nature's head, you know, you're you in lots of tiny houses, but you don't get, you know, you can do that stuff over the wire. You're not actually sitting down with the customers or working, you know, whether that's on the phone or, you know, ultimately whether they come in to, to our shop in, in Austin or whether we deliver to them across the country. We see in touch and we, we work with everybody on those custom designs. So, um, which, you know, so we get to, you know, we, yeah, it's not arms reach. So um, we do get to see, you know, see and hear a lot more of the, you know, what, what the build is going to be for them.
1: What are we looking at for uh, weight savings?
0: Um, We generally say 40 to 60%. And the more complex the house, the greater the savings. If you're doing a simple uh, 24 foot shed, then you're going to be in the, you know, 40% um, lighter when you start getting into the gables or roof decks or um, anything that would cause your, your wood framed or sips framed house to be, heavier, which is, you know, a more complex geometry, then our, our savings is going to, you know, you get, we get much, much lighter than that house. Um, so yeah, the, the, the weight weight is a big deal. And as you know, we, we tell people when we're speaking in front of a group, it's the, if they don't take anything else away, what they, what they need to do is they need to make weight a factor in every, all, all the, you know, the 2,000 or 20,000 decisions they're going to make through the course of their build, they need to be thinking about weight. Um, and every one of those. So you're going to look at something. You're going to go, what's it cost? Is it pretty? How long is it going to last? You need to add weight into that because you know at the end of the job when you when you lower the the jacks, that's the wrong time to find out that you, you made some bad choices from a weight point of view. Because anyone who's pulled a tiny house, you know, will tell you that they, they don't pull like trailers. They pull like houses. Um, so you want to you want to make sure that uh, that the weight is you know, and that's what yeah the you know the weight savings for a steel frame. It's considerable. I mean, that's what and and it's yeah. I guess you know I often yeah I kind of want people to realize that it's safe. You know that's kind of where we, you know where we um where we started. But obviously yeah, getting uh getting you know having it having it lighter makes it makes a huge difference as well Mm -hmm. if you do plan on taking it down the road. Mm -hmm.
2: So as a point of reference, um, we've talked about the fact that they're much lighter. Um, We've also talked sort of in abstract terms about the fact that we're going to save labor. in in putting it together by tipping up panels and so forth. So um financially, I'm gonna give you a little bit of background. So for my builds, typically my lumber package, which includes the studs and the sheathing and the wrap, um, is about fifteen hundred dollars for a lumber package for a twenty two to twenty-four footer. Um and then I pay anywhere from two thousand to three thousand dollars in um framing labor. I pay for the framing labor because I think it's structural and it's important to have someone do it that knows exactly what they're doing and it's not a learning curve that i'm really interested in conquering so for me to get a fully not including the trailer for me to get a framed unit is in the neighborhood of 35 to 4500 dollars then i take over from there and i do the rest but my point is um so from a financial perspective uh, where are we with, with uh, steel? Is it that much more expensive or that much less expensive? And all the part B to that question is I'm somewhat familiar with the steel industry and how the pricing constantly changes. It's a commodity market. Um, can you also answer me or talk a little bit about the the cost structure and the pricing as it relates to a steel as a commodity?
0: Um, sure. I mean, the first part's easy. I mean, we're... we're frames start at uh, three thousand, go up to about five thousand. Um, you know, we do have bigger. You know, if we we're if we're doing um, a forty foot gable um, gooseneck uh, this week, that you know that'll be double that. It's a beautiful, you know, complicated home. Um, but on the you know on the you know, we don't think we have a frame that starts at twenty nine hundred where it's a simple shed. Um, so you know we're uh, we don't you know we're obviously thrilled that we're competitive uh, with wood framing, but we don't. You know that's not where we you know we set out to you know the steel the steel price is the steel price as you say it's a commodity so where um the reason we're competitive with with a wood frame is um because we don't have a lot of labor because when you know we can make a house in less than a day so you know that's uh three to four guys um working at shop rates versus you know what you're paying your you know your skilled carpentry crew and the time they take to to frame that house so um, you know, one of the you know for me personally, it's the you know one of the things I like about the steel frame is that when if you're handing over the same check when when you pay your carpenters, they get in their truck and they go home. But that's you know that can be anywhere from you know half to two thirds of your the cost of that frame just got in its truck and drove away. Whereas um, for us, that's you know that's about you know ten or fifteen percent of the of the cost. You you know what when we drop it off, that the labor cost you're keeping all the value, the money that you spent is in the value of that frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's another difference. You, you said sheathing. So um, that isn't with a, a sheathing package. Now we do, um, we can provide sheathing. So, you know, if we're doing zip, but one of the things that we offer is um, because the frames are perfect um, to the one mill tolerance, we can see and see a sheathing package. So a lot of times, like with, with our kit or with the houses that we're sending out, and certainly if we're sheathing it, um, everything CNC. So every, um, every screw is, you know, is to, is to code. So you when you put two, you know, you, you know, the challenge of putting, when you're putting two sheets of cheating material on, on a one and a half inch stud, whether that's metal, whether that's timber, that, that can be challenging. This is, you know, when you have all that, everything's pre-drilled and pre-cut, it allows you to get that whole house, not just erected, but you can get it sheathed. And, you know, we have people that get dried in and, and two to three days. So it makes that part of the process go much quicker, and again, it's it's the um, you know the precision that comes with it uh, as well. That's really fascinating.
2: I have another technical question regarding uh, thermal bridging. Yep. Um, can you? T- I I'm not even going to try to frame a question around this. Like, <laughs> so I guess for my audience, let me see. Thermal bridging is basically a fancy way of saying that cold air gets from the outside of your house into your house. And a thermal bridge is a material or a pathway, either air or material-based pathway, that helps that cold move faster and easier from the outside to the inside. So as I understand it, my very, very basic knowledge of thermal bridging is metal allows or encourages or speeds the process of thermal bridging, and wood and vapor barriers and insulation and other things like that do not. So... um <clears throat> can you talk about thermal bridging and how that is addressed or it's a good um, question.
1: <laughs> Mark's over it's there. a lovely <laughs> question.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that, was a, that was a great definition. It's a great starting point. So yeah. I don't, it's the, I mean, we used to get lots of thermal bridging questions like now there's enough information out there It's see the, I mean, the the thermal bridging is a, there, there is a, um, an issue with thermal bridging in and, and tiny houses. And I'll come back to it from a, with a steel framing point of view. I mean, that's, it's something that's easily easily solved. I mean, basically, you just you change your your wall system slightly. And when when you have um, a steel frame, you have to have a thermal break uh, to deal with the thermal bridging. And that, that thermal break is um, is continuous insulation. So so you, you put a, a half inch of foam underneath your your whatever your exterior sheathing is going to be. Oh, okay. Yeah. And once you've done that, now you're back to basically where you would be with a wood frame. It's the the one thing that wood does better than steel is it doesn't conduct heat or cold as well. So but I think one of the things that we, you know, when we talk about, um, we do talk about thermal bridging is that it's, you know, you, you have to look at, if you have R, you know, 17 or 19 in the, in the center of your wall, you don't have that whether you have a wood stud, where you have a wood stud or a metal stud or obviously a window. You have to, when, they, when you look at an R value, you look at the entire wall, um, uh, tiny house walls are, you know, have terrible R values because we put a lot of windows in, um, so you have to spend a lot of money to you know, to on very expensive windows to kind of maintain those R values. Um, and the other, you know, typically from when you're talking about R values, the place you really want to spend money on insulation is is on the roof and on on the floor um, in the walls because you have all those other penetrations. You know, it's not where your money's best spent. But you know, I think the you know, One of the best places, if you go look at, um, HUD has a, a group called PATH, it's the Partnership for Advancing Technology in Housing, and they've been trying to get people to move to steel for, you know, since the 80s, but really, you know, since the 90s a lot, and they've been out there and they've built, you know, they've built identical houses, you know, wood-framed houses and steel-framed houses, and by just with the, you know, with the addition of that, uh, of a half-inch foam, not changing anything else using bad insulation, um, you know, the the difference that they would see in a year of watching that home as a as a test home uh, was about um, thirty five dollars, eleven dollars more in electric, twenty four dollars more in gas. And when you, you scale that down, because that's a twenty two hundred square foot, four bedroom, two and a half bath house with a two car garage, when you scale that down into tiny house world, that works out. It's one point five cents per square foot, or about three dollars a year if you didn't do it. If you didn't try to do anything interesting, um, or you know, with the um, you know, to get better our values so um, the yeah, it's not hard to solve the thermal bridging in with a with a steel frame the, the bigger issue in tiny houses is, is that you have thermal bridging between the trailer and whatever frame you're putting down so whether that's whether that's a wood frame whether that's a steel frame or whether that's a sips panel where you have to really be clever and pay attention is making sure that you don't have steel touching um, you know touching your floor and any there's lots of you know we've probably seen more more trailers than anybody out there because we, you know, we put we put frames on all, all sorts of houses. So we've seen just about every configuration that you can, um, you know, that you can put under a frame. And there, you know, there it's the there's some challenges out there. It's tough to not get um, some steel touching, uh, you know, going through and, and making it to the floor, which means you're going to have moisture issues. And those are the you know, those are the types of things that you know, and that's you know, those are the advantages to. You know, to using a builder that's that's done that a lot of times and making sure that it's getting built um, correctly.
2: So what percentage of your steel is, do you use recycled steel or virgin?
0: Well, you can, we use the highest recycled content that we can to, to get the, um, uh, we use a 50 KSI which is a, um, a higher tensile strength steel than, than you would normally, you normally don't get to that strength of steel until you get down to 16 gauge so by using a higher strength steel, we can keep our uh, most of our, uh, the majority of our tiny houses at 22 gauge, um, you know, so using thinner steel means you have, um, it's one, it's lighter and two, it's, you do have less, uh, you know, that's less of, there's a very small profile when it comes to any, any sorts of bridging.
2: More technical questions mark are you still sleeping over there no, i'm
0: good <laughs> i'm taking some numbers down
2: <laughs> maybe answer i this. love the technical stuff i know that. i do too i do too so it doesn't um, go over
0: well at the kitchen table though.
2: so, <laughs> so maybe i think you said this awesome. i might have missed yep. it so how much does a frame weigh for a 20 foot two-story shed roof style frame how much does a frame weigh into the with those numbers so eight and a half by 20, twenty, uh, thirteen and a half foot tall, shed roof, double loft.
0: Yeah, you know, twenty footer is going to
1: be between eight and nine hundred pounds. Wow! And so, what would it be for wood, Michelle?
2: Uh, about two thousand.
0: Wow! Wow! Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 That's amazing.
0: No, it's. A, I mean, it's the. I, I wish I invented the system, but it's. Um, it is. It's it's perfect for the tiny house industry and we're yeah. going, you know, we, as we, you know, we're like a lot of the people that have been doing, you know, we are, we're doing more, um, foundation builds and we're still, we're sticking to smaller houses. We think that's important, but, um, you know, there, you, you when people are using, they're using the steel because they're getting the, you know, all the benefits of steel because of the system, because we can make it so quick and be competitive with a, a wood frame, but they're getting all the advantage of, you know, there's no VOCs, there's no mold, there's no mildew, there's no, Um, you know, no termites, all those things, you know, our, our machine, when it, when it finishes one piece of steel, it starts the next. So we, we have virtually 0% waste when we, when we make a frame. So I think, you know, at the first jamboree, when we, you know, we made, we don't do it that much anymore because we built a big, um, we had a 24 foot tiny house, but then we had it attached to a garage with a roof deck and we had a roof deck on the tiny house and we had a deck and an outdoor garage. And a lot of people didn't realize there was a tiny house in there, but we, you know, we've kind of come into it in the beginning and we still kind of, you know, we, we talk a lot about right sizing and, you know, not going too small and actually having space if you need it. So, um, but you know, the, the bucket that we had at the show that had all the, um, you know, all the punch outs and all the service holes and all that's all the scrap that we use on that whole build. And that was one of the things that, you know, certainly, yeah, you know, it, it's one of the things that's amazing about the machine is that it's, um you know, it's not to say that, you know, the, in, in the wood, in the, you know, in the wood industry, obviously at the mill, they do they do a great job of recycling. But when you get out to a job site, you know, you still have all your offcuts. Um, so yeah, you know, we don't have we don't have any waste when we're um, um, so we're not ordering extra material. We're not have, nothing goes in a skip. Um, everything gets the little bits that we do have. All well, obviously, 100 percent of that is
2: recycled. That's wow. amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you, thank you very much for letting me sort of geek out today, uh, get to some more of the technical questions. Um, I think this is. Will be very very valuable for our tiny house listeners yeah. that are mm-hmm. considering all of these things. You know, when you start out with a tiny house build or tiny house idea, you have to consider materials, labor, supply, time, and money. Yeah, um, those are the those are the five things, and I think you've really really educated not only myself but our listeners totally. about about uh, some new options. Totally appreciate your time.
0: Thank you very much.
1: And Tiny House listeners, be sure to check in on the next episode. We're going to have yet another interesting uh, guest. Um, Should I ask who that is going to be? Absolutely not.
2: (laughs) Okay. All right. Although we do know who it is.
1: Um, Oh, no, we don't. No, we don't. (laughs) No, we don't. don't. That time slot's still empty. we got three open slots. we
2: got three open slots.
1: But it'll be brilliant. It'll be brilliant, just like this episode Moving
2: and shaking, that's what we do. Absolutely. All right. So,
1: uh, check us out next week and we will see you and be you. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you, Rick McNooney. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcasts. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five star rating or whatever. Tiny House loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon.